I'm Sam. And I'm Jackson. And this is your press release. Today our guest is Chad Lewis. So we're very excited to have him on. He's an NFL pro bowler, put on the Eagles. Correct, he's also the author of Surround Yourself with Greatness. And currently serves as a state president in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. So we're super glad to have you on today. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to be here with you guys. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so um, we already kind of went through some brief introductions right before we started recording. And I guess the first thing that we just want to know is walk us through a little bit about your your professional journey. You can start from when you were, when you were young, maybe through the NFL and kind of what you've done since. But we'd just like to hear a little bit about it all. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, football was always a part of my life. I wasn't a beast in football till much later. So I went through junior high and high school. Football was a contributor, but I was not a superstar. Went on my mission to Taiwan, came home, walked onto the BYU football team, uh, became a tight end, uh, had a good career. BYU was not drafted, went to the Philadelphia Eagles as a free agent. Played in the NFL on three different teams, Eagles, Rams, Eagles, for nine years. I was in the – helped our team go to the Super Bowl. Played on the – was selected three times to the Pro Bowl, like you said. After football, I was a general manager for a rebar company for two years. And then after I left that, uh, I wrote, wrote the books Around Yourself with Greatness. Writing the book, promoting it, speaking, that took a year. And then after that, I came to BYU. I've been at BYU for 13 years. So there's my life. Boom. <laughs> cool. Perfect. And correct me if I'm wrong, you handle the fundraising needs correct. at BYU? Correct. So okay. I'm the Associate Athletic Director of Development, which means I'm the director of the fundraising team for the athletic department. Okay. So five-person team, and we raise money through... Uh, the umbrella is the Cougar Club. Anyone that donates money to BYU, whether it's through a portion of their tickets or a straight donation for scholarships or whatever, that's that's our that's our team. Okay, perfect. How did you get into that after? Well, how did you get into rebar? I don't know. After rebar, football, rebar was and the then weird how did one. you get into fundraising after rebar? <laughs> rebar was a family thing, and Tom Homo came and talked to me before rebar and said, "Hey, I want you to come and work at BYU." And I said, "No, I've got to go get some outside sport experience if I'm going to be any valuable, any value to you. I, I need to go get some real world experience. I've been doing football for a long time, and so my wife Michelle, her older brother Steve." was an accountant for a Las Vegas-based, family-owned, very large rebar company that was preparing to expand. They wanted to expand in Utah. They talked to me about being the tip of the spear and the general manager of their efforts here in Utah. And at first, I was like, no, like, I don't know anything about rebar, you know, other than it's a weapon. You can grab a piece of rebar and do some damage. <laughs> That's uh, about all I know about rebar. <laughs> but I took four months, studied studied the history of rebar in America and other places, and the business. I interviewed people in the company multiple times. I took visits to where they milled the steel down in Ontario, California, where they fabricated the steel in their shops. And got some good advice from good people before I jumped in. So I, I took a little too long, but it was it was fine. It was good. I was finished playing football. I had some time. And I thought it was an appropriate effort on my part, you know. You hear about people saying, well, I did the due diligence. What does that mean? It means study your butt off. Like, figure out what's going on. What are the numbers? How do you fit in? Is this going to work? That's what due diligence means. And so I did that, and both Michelle and I felt very good about moving forward. So we jumped in. We did it for two full years, and it was it was great. I learned a ton. It was the learning curve was steep as the cliffs of Dover, <laughs> and it was not not patty cake. It was real stuff. Doing rebar, building buildings, um, uh, construction industry, union workers. Um, hiring, firing, it was it was the real world. And after two years of that, um, we were acquired by the world's largest steel provider. And then we chose to leave the steel industry. 
uh, possibly forever. I don't know. Um, and then that's when I wrote the book. And then after that, Tom came again. He, he came three times and said, hey, come down to BYU. Come work with me. And I'm grateful for Tom because uh, it's been an incredible job. I love it. I love being back at BYU. So he just really wanted you, Tom Homo. He's like, we got to get this guy. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> he was persistent, but he was appropriate. And uh, I would say inspiring every time I talk to him. And here's the magical thing. He is still that way after 13 years. That's cool. I still get pumped working with him every day. Because he's real. He's why, a real dude. Why do you think that is? Like, okay, he's a real guy. He's charismatic. He's, how how does somebody kind of bring that out of other people to be an inspiring leader? <laughs> That's a good point. Like, there's all types of leaders. There's high-level CEOs that are like, pew, bringing people on board of their vision, and you get sucked away in this vortex, and they're, they're moving. They're creative thinkers. Um and there's other people who have this gift of bringing people together from from all sorts of different places and making incredible teams. That's Tom fits there. Like he's he's so capable individually, but humble individually that he doesn't need to be the center of everything that happens. That's one of his gifts. He brings people together, he lets them do their thing. He's had enough work experience in his life. He has four Super Bowls, three as a player for the 49ers, one as a coach for the 49ers. Hmm. He's been the head coach of the Cal. He's coached at Stanford, coached at BYU. And he's had enough work experience to cobble that all together, use his skills and... Um, and I would also say the makeup of his family, his dad was a barber, um, who leans conservative, his mom leaned more socially liberal and those, they would have these dynamic dinner conversations where as he's growing up, he's watching his brother play for UCLA. He's, he's just like, uh, his brain's expanding and he's kind of like Paul the apostle. He's a man for all seasons. He can handle a lot. He can talk to a lot of different people. He can understand a lot of different backgrounds, uh, both religious-wise, both athletic-wise, administrative-wise. He's, he's, he has so many good talents that he's been able to use effectively, and because he's humble, it all works. Hmm. Okay, cool. so let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. Like, And I saw he was like <clears throat> uh, the... The Utah Magazine Person of the Year or something. Really? Yeah, today. <laughs> so I guess wow. thinking about him and then thinking about you as well, I didn't know all that about Tom Homo, that he had so much athletic experience behind him with playing and coaching. And it seems like you did as well. So would you say that being in the NFL or playing sports, especially football, did that prepare you for the business world? Like was there overlap in the skills or was it kind of a rude awakening when you then transferred into rebar? I'd say both. Uh, here's some weird percentages. 90% of NFL players are bankrupt three years after their last game. That's frightening. That's terrifying. Um, <laughs> and typically it comes with divorce, abuse, drug use. So when you're talking bankruptcy, bankruptcy is coming with wicked friends. Fair enough. And if you're talking about that kind of percentage, why would anyone go into the NFL? I don't know what the current numbers are, but th those are the numbers that were told to me for the last several years. The NFL is going to take care of so much of your life for you. Your schedule is not yours. It's taken care of. You just have to get your body and show up. The train leaves the station before the season starts, and it don't stop until the Super Bowl is over. And you have to get onto that train. Mm -hmm. And that takes enormous effort, enormous ability to manage your health, your rest, your effort, your ability to make plays, all that stuff. And in the middle of that is your business training. Well, what do you mean? You're working with people all the time, head coach. 
offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coach, position coach, trainer, equipment manager. Well, what does that have to do with business? Well, what does anything have to do with business? It's what you get out of it and what you learn from it. And you're, you should be learning from every one of those relationships. Um, that's where the business comes from. And then it's your family and friends. Like, who are you talking to all the time? What are you doing? Do you go home and play video games every day? Well, then you're probably not going to excel or absorb as much business stuff because all of your brain power is being wasted in video games. Do you read when you come home? Okay. Well, your education and learning can greatly expand if you're diving into books and great thinkers around the world through the ages. Um, what are you doing in with your spirituality? Do you serve in your church in a calling? Do you serve the community? That's a component of it that's so easily overlooked, but is more important than anything else. So there's a bunch of ways to learn business from sports, but it's coming not in from a classroom, not from continuing education. It's coming from the main streets. Are you learning and, and how are you going to put that together? And then hopefully if you marry a really great girl, you got a chance. You know, I, I lucked out. I married the greatest girl in the world. I have a chance. And then you just have to fight and create. And if you're waiting for someone to bring you flowers, it's typically, typically not going to happen. You have to go cut some flowers and put them in a vase and move forward with your life and figure something out. That's why so many NFL players and other pro sports players go bankrupt is because you get to that point. You've made a lot of money. You've had great experiences, but you're put in this weird, dangerous bubble of fame, celebrity, and you're brought to the precipice and then your handlers leave you and your coaches leave you. And the people who have done your schedule all these years, they're gone. And they're like, okay, good luck. And they are gone helping the next player. You're out of their life. And what are you going to do now? Well, this is why most people are bankrupt. They are stuck in that little fake bubble of fame, celebrity, whatever we want to call it, until they're, they're not willing to take an entry-level job. They're not willing to jump into an industry that they that's going to be challenging. It's like, all we know is football. So what am I going to do outside of football? I don't know. I'm just going to stay right here in my little bubble and pretend like I'm famous and a celebrity until I've got nothing, no two pennies to rub together. And then it's like, okay, crap. I need to go do something. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll throw bags at the airport. I'll do, I'll do whatever. It's, it's tough. And I've talked to teammates who are in that situation. I see it happening all the time. And even when I was playing, the NFL was trying their best to have financial planners come in and talk to us about those things. Like, hey, what, what's your next step? What are you going to do? And most people are like, what do you mean what am I going to do? This is what I'm doing. Heart and soul, 24-7. I'm playing football. Yeah, but what are you going to do after? I don't know. Well, you better start thinking about it. Okay, okay. Well, that day comes way faster than anyone anticipates. And then when it does, what do you do? So, so from what I'm understanding... That was a lot of rambling. Sorry. Anyway, no, that's good. There was, I, there was a lot in there that I really liked. Um, and especially... It seems like you need to have a plan for your future for what's going to come next. And then then while you're in the moment, you're working as much as you can, especially NFL super demanding. But for the time that you do have is using it to learn and to better yourself to then prepare for those next steps. Is that That's correct. what you're getting at? And so when I talk to players now, high school, college, and those aspiring to be pro, I let them know your plan A is education. Mm. Even if you're an all-American, unbelievable Tom Brady, you know, next generation phenom, your plan B is football. Even if you're the best, 
your plan B is football. Okay, let's say plan B works. You get drafted, you go play, and first game you tear out your your whatever. Yeah. ACL, MCL, there's any injury, concussion, can't play another down. What are you going to do? That's why plan B is plan B. Your plan A is your education and how are you going to take care of your family? Like, please be thinking of that all the time. Even if you don't have it like perfect, dialed in, know exactly what to do, be working on it in some way. Be making good connections with other people in an authentic way, not just a networking way. Because when we just network, it's really weird and awkward and kind of fake and plastic. But when you're developing real relationships with people and asking questions, they're all of a sudden tied into you and they want to help you succeed. Give plan B all you got. If it's football, in my case, it was heart and soul. I, I, I couldn't take my eye too far off of that prize or else with my limited athletic ability, I couldn't be successful to play at that level. And so it was all consuming and it was hard to like develop plan A. And so luckily for me, family came in and said, Hey, do you want to try this? And then I had to like use my skills and pray and work and, and try and make it, make it happen. I wish plan A were easier. Mm. I wish plan B were easier. They're both really hard. Life is really hard. And I've only seen it in the movies where there's a yellow brick road that you just cruise and there's a bunch of cash at the end of the rainbow. In real life, it takes a lot of work, hope, dreams. Some people turn into billionaires. Some people are on the streets. And it's like, how do you, how did that happen? I don't know. It's a lot of luck, timing, smarts, skills, gifts, work. Planning, not planning. It's just um, life is amazing. God gives us our agency from when we're really little. And he asks us to work hard and be obedient. And with those two things, great things can happen. But as we grow up, we start, you know, shiny objects are like squirrel. And we look at those and we, we move in that direction. And if we could just have good mentors around us, family, friends, leaders to help us like go in the direction of plan A and plan B and move forward, man, that'd be sweet. So I'm going to encourage you guys right now to be those mentors for other people and remind them what's your plan A, what's your plan B, how can we help you get there? Because everyone needs that. We all need that. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously your pursuit of football, you, I have to imagine that was hard from the beginning. You, you said you weren't the most talented. You knew you had to put in the extra work to get there. But did you always understand that concept of plan A, plan B? Or, no. Or was it mentors who came in and kind of showed you that after you had received that opportunity? It was just kind of life developing as life develops that that started to distill upon me like, wow, shoot, that's how it works. But I, I would say this. I knew that God gave me certain gifts hmm. a tall athletic body that could run and catch i could catch the ball well since i was a little kid i could run relatively fast before my mission after my mission i felt like i was much faster it was weird it was really cool and but not on an olympic level on a level that could make it happen and make plays um and could get by and in college, it was like, yeah, he's fast. In the pros, it was like, eh, he's, he's a hard worker. So it was definitely not like four, three, forty type stuff. But it was fast enough to work. Athletically, skill-wise, because I could catch, because I could run good routes, it was possible. Even from a freshman at BYU, like when I started playing, there was a glimmer of hope. If I pour everything I have into this, it can develop. I had that feeling and other people didn't have it for me necessarily like I did. And then my wife, we got married and together we had that feeling. And 
again, other people didn't quite have that feeling like we did. We just felt comfortable and confident that if we gave this everything we had, that good things could happen. And so we kept moving in that direction. It was both our plan A and our plan B. It was like, let's go. And when I made it to the pros, the second year, second game, I broke my ankle and was cut. And that was a time where some people were like, okay, get on with your life. What are you going to do? And I'd look at them like, well, what do you mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. And they were like, they, some people looked at me and felt bad, like, oh, that's too bad. He thinks he's going to go play again. And Michelle and I looked at it like, of course we're going to go play again. I'm going to recover from this broken ankle, and I'm going to train, and I hope and pray that I get on a team and I can move forward. And as we did that, it took several weeks. And in that process, there were some that were like, maybe move on with your life. Kind of like Taysom Hill before the, the draft. Man, you've been hurt so many times. Maybe move on with your life. And he's like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And so luckily for us, things worked. It moved forward. I was able to play for another several years. But looking back at that, it was, it was everything. Michelle and I poured everything into that. And we made our family work around it. We made our hopes and dreams work around it. We made, we just, it was a, a laser focus. We gave, gave it all we had. I couldn't have do it, done it without her. And together we made good decisions and we moved forward. Boom. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I was just going to ask, how did you, how did you catch the eye of the coaches if you didn't have kind of the, the natural talents or if you weren't amazing in high school or a walk on, how were you able to then pursue the NFL after pouring all of it into it? Like what gave you yeah, great, the motivation great to drive? Um, the fact that when you're in the pros, you need to be able to do something well. The, my well was catching the ball and running good routes. And if I put together a highlight tape of what I did in college, you would say, oh, my gosh, that guy's going to win a bunch of Super Bowls. He's amazing. Because when you put a highlight tape together, you're just putting your best. I'm putting my, my best things showcasing what I can do the best. Well, I had a, a number of things that were not the best. That's why I was not drafted. I couldn't block very well. And I wasn't asked to block very much at BYU. Our offensive coordinator, Norm Chow, was like, catch the ball, make plays. That's what I want you to do. I'm like, deal. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> but for the NFL, they wanted me to catch the ball, make plays, and be able to block. Because if you can't block, you're not playing in the NFL. So I was not drafted. I had to learn how to block. I had a coach, Juan Castillo, and a first offensive coordinator um, that were, were instrumental in me learning how to block better. And that took a lot of work. And I was there for a year and two games, and I was cut, and then I went to the Rams. And now I'm there with head coach Dick Vermeil and my tight end coach. Um, so my tight end coach, Lynn Stiles, worked with me a lot to learn how to block from the foundation, like – we're starting from the first step, second step, hand placement, and I worked my butt off. And then I was there for one year, and right before the Rams went on the Super Bowl run, I was cut and traded back to the Eagles. When I get back to the Eagles, I had some teammates that I was with before, and they were like, whoa, man, you're a way better blocker. That was cool to hear because I knew how much effort I put into that. And I finished that year, and the next year – I was a Pro Bowl tight end, the starting Pro Bowl tight end in the NFC. Hmm. And I did that for three years, went to the Pro Bowl. And I could not have done that without learning, improving one of my weaknesses. Now, my weakness, like Ether 1227, never became my strength. But I worked on my weakness enough to become a strength to where... I can play in the NFL, I can go to the Pro Bowl, I can succeed. And during that process, I thought a lot about Ether 1227, that the Lord gives us weaknesses that we will be humble. 
And if we are humble and we have faith in him, and if we work on those weaknesses, those weaknesses can become our strengths. And at first I was like, well, do I need to work on those weaknesses so much that they become my strength? And then what I realized is, no, God gave me this ability to catch the ball and run good routes. That is my strength. Don't ever get that twisted. That's why I'm here on this team. That's why I'm in the NFL. That's what I bring to the table. Now, I can take my weaknesses and improve them enough that I can be an all-around player. I can be a, a much better player. I can play at this level. And I'm grateful for that one experience alone because it brought the life of Ether 1227 and exploded it for me right in my face. Like it, it just brought it to life. Wow. That was applied in my life. Ether, as a prophet, wrote that down years and years and years ago. And here I am, two, three thousand years later, benefiting from his words. That was really cool. So, <clears throat> okay, but, so. I want your opinion on on something related to that, um, because we hear that all the time. Very famous scripture, Ether twelve twenty seven. Turn your weaknesses into strengths, and from from what I'm understanding, it's almost like in the beginning, you decided to take your strength and lean into the strength first of catching the ball. So it's almost like in the beginning, we need to be good at something. Right. That's step one. You got to be great at just one thing that you're already kind of seem to have a natural aptitude towards. Yeah, everyone's been given gifts and talents. And so you got to lean into those first. And then if you really want to be amazing, like the best, that's when you lean into your weaknesses. Do you agree with that? Well, I would say that? even not even to be the best. All of us have been given strengths and talents. But there's times in our lives when we can't even see what those are. As a teenager, I wondered what my gifts were. I had no clue. And I asked my mom, like, Mom, I'm no good. And she would say, yeah, you can run. You have long legs. And, and she would talk about my other gifts. And it was embarrassing. I was kind of like, oh, no, Mom. <laughs> Whatever. But in my inside, I was like, I'm so glad that my mom loves me so much that she cares enough about me and she's showing me what I'm good at, even though I didn't want to hear it. So... Here's a time in my life I didn't know what my gifts were. And even I would say going as a missionary to Taiwan, yeah, I knew what some of my gifts were, but I didn't like actually be able to put my finger on it like, dang, God bless me to do that. And so it was still, I would say, a transition period of my life where I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm, I'm trying to figure myself out, I'm trying to figure out my own talents come home from my mission, walk onto the football team and start playing football. Football is such a unique, different aspect, but it's, it's an easy way to talk about it and illustrate some of these things. So I start playing football. Well, catching the ball, that was why I was there. And running good routes, that's why I was at BYU. That's why Coach Chow was giving me a chance. And I did not ever want that to get twisted. And so then it was easy for me to identify those are my gifts. I mean, that's why I'm here. Make no mistake. I wasn't making any mistake about it because I knew that's why I'm here. Because I was a 200-pound. My freshman year, I was, I was up to 218, but I finished about 212. That is like alarmingly skinny and light to be a tight end, Division One football. So my second year, I, I worked hard, got stronger, heavier. Same thing with my junior and senior year. But it was good from the beginning with the background of Ether to know I need to identify my strengths because my strengths will help me identify my weaknesses. And together, like I can practice what God was teaching me in that, in that verse. Such a cool verse. And the fact that he said, if men look unto me, I will give unto them weaknesses. What? You mean God's given us weaknesses? That they may be humble? Oh, okay. Like, so maybe he doesn't want us to be like just unconquerable in everything. He would like us to be able to get on our knees and recognize, oh man, I can't do everything good. I need your help. 
And, but together, like this dance of strengths and weaknesses, but trusting in God and having faith in Him and relying on Him and trying to be humble while being confident at the same time. What a cool, what a cool verse of scripture. When I, one day I'll, I'll put my arms around Ether and I'll say, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. So just to compile everything that we've just talked about, how would you then instruct people to go out and find what their strengths are? Oh, good question. I think for me, it it was the people closest to me, my parents, my mom and my dad, and then later my wife. Um, people that know you best are the people that can look at you and identify, help you identify what your strengths and weaknesses. I would say your patriarchal blessing is another way to identify talents and gifts and strengths that you have that maybe you didn't even know about. Your teachers are another, like teachers see us in different, teachers and coaches see us differently than we see ourselves. We go in, we study hard, or we work hard, we play hard, and we think we're this, and our teachers see us as something else sometimes. It's weird. It's like, wow, how do you have that perspective? Well, they're just seeing us maybe maybe in a, in a more genuine way. We're not looking in the mirror trying to look good. They're looking at us from like where we're not looking and they just have a better perspective. So people around you, parents, family, spouse, teachers, coaches, hopefully a mentor has got enough time to look with enough patience and realize, oh, wow, you're really good at this. Are you sure? Yeah, this is what I'm seeing. That that can give people tons of confidence. And so I'm thankful to every person in my life that looked at me that way and let me know what my strengths are. And I would say this, it's not fun to hear what your weaknesses are. It is not fun to have a coach turn on the tape and say, what in the world are you doing right here? This was the worst block I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this wouldn't even work on my junior high team that my son's on. That's not fun to hear. And it's not fun to hear people be critical of you. It takes like a lot of maturity, a lot of trust knowing, okay, they, they're doing that because they, they need me to be my best. And they also want me to be my best. And I want to be my best. So you know, you hear of business people that take a 360 degree view and they ask everyone to like look at them and expose their weaknesses. Well, that hurts. That's not very fun. But you know what you need to work on, that's for sure. Yeah. So if you can handle that kind of honesty, if you can handle that kind of like a sandpaper abrasiveness to your soul, go for it. I don't really like that, but. It's part of the process. It's part of growing up. And sometimes it's so necessary. I could not have played in the NFL if there weren't people in my life telling me, you're a very bad blocker and you have to get better or else you are going back to Provo. <laughs> well, I'm glad they were so honest because it, it brought me to a point where I knew I had to address it. I had to work or else I was going back to Provo. Now, the best part about playing in the NFL for Michelle and I is we would always look at best case and worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, we were going back to Provo. <laughs> and that wasn't very bad for us. We're like, okay. And that would like relieve the anxiety I had about making the team. We'd say, hey, if I'm so bad that they cut me, I'm going back to Provo. And we'd say, Great place. Love the people. Love the beauty. Beautiful place. It's not too bad. And then it was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I was like, okay. That was, that was helpful for us. Today's sponsor is Mecca. Mecca is your one-stop shop for meal prep and fitness goals. Every week, you'll have your meals delivered in a bag like this. You can select two or three meals per day, as well as you have a variety of supplement options that you can order from their website. Their website is mecca.fitness. Be sure to use code 
YPR to get 10% off your order. I ate 12 Mecca meals before this podcast was was released, and I loved them. I had great results. They were delicious. They were easy to make. I think it was two minutes in the microwave, um, and I was highly impressed. So I would recommend them to anybody who's looking for meal prep, easy options, microwavable meals. They're easy. They're convenient. And I'd have to agree. I had them for probably about two and a half months straight, and that was just about all the meals I ate. Nothing wrong with them. Absolutely loved them. Delicious. Like like Sam said, super easy and convenient. You can find Mecca on their website, social media, and on all of them, it is Mecca.fitness. So, so search Mecca.fitness to find them. Remember code YPR. Absolutely. So it's definitely no coincidence then that you wrote a book titled Surround Yourself by Greatness. Everything we're talking about, you keep coming into well, I had so-and-so, my coach or my wife or even yeah. God right there on my side. Even when you're talking about putting in the time and learning what you needed to for football or rebar and construction, whatever it was, you, you keep coming back to. There was yeah. someone there to help you figure it out. When was it that you made that connection that that was the ticket is surrounding yourself by greatness yeah, or at least a major part of getting where you're trying to go? It was one year into my mission. I was in the city of Fongian. And I was thinking about just before my dad's, just before my mission, four months before my mission, my dad had a massive stroke, uh, could have easily taken his life. He was a marathon runner and physician, um, life-saving brain surgery. He only got back a part of his health. He could walk, but it was extremely limited. And through that process of working and recovery and uh, he never complained. It was super difficult for my mom. She was now like the greatest support and caregiver and she wasn't complaining. Those two were just working and figuring life out and moving forward. But I'm telling you, they were not complaining. That was a miracle. So here I am one year into my mission and I'm thinking back about what happened with my dad, the situation, having a stroke, the miraculous recovery. And I'm also thinking about the people that he was surrounded by, family, friends, to him, great music. Um, and I, that's when all this surround yourself with greatness started to come upon me. It was like, wow, he was, this was a, an environment where a miracle could take place because he was surrounded by greatness. And I, I just said, okay, I know the difference between good music and bad music. I'm 19, 20 years old. I know that difference. I know the difference between good movies and bad movies. I'm one year into my mission. I've, uh, that's not hard to detect. It's, it was easy. And so that's when I said, okay, I want to build a pile of greatness for the rest of my life. And I just feel if I can build a pile of greatness, at some point, the pile will include me and grab me versus a pile of smut or lesser stuff or garbage. That's going to take me down to Chinatown and that's not where I want to go. And so it was this feeling of surround yourself with greatness. And I actually wrote it on a little card and I put it under my name tag as a missionary and I, I put it in my wallet. I just held it. I was like, okay, surround myself with greatness. That's what I want to do. And when I came home, I was bound and determined to go forward with my life, with the skills, you know, new arrows in my quiver is like, I want to use those. I don't want to go back to being a high school kid the way I thought and acted as a high school kid. I want to leave that in my book of remembrance. And I love the image of a, a windshield being way bigger than a rearview mirror. Like we're going forward. We're not focusing all of our attention on going backward. And that's how I was after my mission. I wanted to use the new skills, experiences to go forward. And I was, I, I promise, I was a different person. I was a different football player after my mission. I was a different student. I was a different brother. I wasn't perfect, but I was different. And it was going the direction that I wanted to go and improve and get better. And there's still bumps in the road all these years later. But 
that comes all the way back to either 1227 of Christ saying to us, I want you to work on your strengths and your skills. And I also want you to work on these, these weaknesses because they're going to help you be humble and remember me that I've, I got to be a part of your life. Well, there you go. Another couple minutes of rambling. <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. Um, so then while we're going through this process of surrounding yourself with greatness, who were some of those people and how did you identify them as great? Okay, great question. Because as I started to write the book, there was, there was two competing thoughts. One was to write a book about greatness. One was to write an expose. It's easy to write an expose. Like I was in the NFL. It's like the world of football at the highest level, celebrities playing football at the highest level. And that's an environment where a lot of stuff is going to happen. A lot of juicy material. It would be easy to write a book about an expose, you know, stuff that happened. Like, can you believe this happened? I chose consciously to write a book about the greatness that was surrounding me. And I, I wanted to write about my coaches, my teammates, my family, the, the people that helped. And so that's what I did. I, I started with my dad's stroke and went straight into my mission and mission companions and and then I realized something as I was writing. It was, it was cool. I think everyone should write a book because as you write, you're, you're just going to learn so much. But as I was writing, I realized sometimes we have an opportunity to choose the greatness that we surround ourselves with. And other times, we have no choice. Here's an example of that. I'm placed on a football team. I don't have any choice that if I'm on the Eagles or the Rams, or back to the Eagles, it's like the, they're either drafting you or selecting you or signing you. Yes, you can say no, but I'm in that locker room. I don't have a choice who my teammates were, but I do have a choice if I can start recognizing the greatness in my teammates and my coaches. Even though they're radically, they may be radically different than me from uh, either a any 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 type of measurement. So the book to me was an opportunity to recognize the greatness around me, even if it was my choice or not, um, which is helpful because sometimes um, you have no choice. Corey Ten Boom, she wrote the book, A Hiding Place, a Jewish girl in the middle of nasty barracks, um, flea infested, World War II, Nazi Germany, the worst, absolute worst situation you can possibly be in. And in her writings, she describes really the same thing, finding greatness. She realized that because she was in there with her sister, <laughs> what a gift, what a miracle. I could go through this hellhole with someone I love the most. I've got a friend. I'm with my sister. And she also, they, they had a Bible that was smuggled in there and they, they were able to read scripture and get words of God in this hellhole. And she was able to realize, like she was so grateful for that. And then to, to read her words and to see how she was grateful and she was finding greatness in an absolute crappy situation. <laughs> Man, so that's the book to me. The Hiding Place is... Finding greatness everywhere where other people are like, wow, that's the, that's the worst place in the world. And here she was saying, I know it's the worst place in the world, but I'm with my sister and I've got some scriptures and I'm going to make it one minute at a time. That's pretty, that's a powerful, powerful example. So absolutely. Um, it leads me to question that because you said it wasn't your choice. Some of the teammates, obviously her situation, it wasn't her choice to be put in that hellhole. How did you, were you able to find greatness in every person who was among you? Um, 
Some people I have found in life you don't make great music with. And that's okay. And if you recognize that, that's even better. Like, hey, we're teammates. We don't make great music together, but when we're in the huddle, let's we're we're like heart and soul brothers. We're giving it all we got. Well, it doesn't mean we need to hang out. It doesn't mean we need to copy each other and you know do everything together. But in this situation, we're teammates. And I think there is greatness in every person. You don't have to spend so much time that you find the greatness in every person. Like, it's hard enough to be you. It's hard enough to find success and do your thing. But it's a good principle to recognize that there's greatness in every person. And hopefully you can see it or feel it. And if not, at least ignore it and move on and be like, hey, you know, for whatever reason, we don't make great music together. I'm, I'm going this way. I'm going to a different dance. And you always have to protect yourself from yourself and from bad stuff. Put yourself in good situations. If you know you have a weakness and you know that typically because history has shown you that you have a weakness. For us in our culture, it's typically before your mission and after mission. If before your mission you have a weakness, protect yourself and know that just because I'm a return missionary doesn't mean I don't still have that weakness. Like protect yourself from that and build a path and move on. Um, that That's helpful to know. Where were we going with this whole thing? Sorry. <laughs> no, um, that goes right into my next question, which was going to be, how did you maintain your religiosity and ethics while being in the NFL surrounded by fame, drugs, alcohol, potential crime, who knows what? Great question. I think around here, that's the number one question that I get. And luckily for me, it starts with my family and Michelle. So marrying Michelle put me in a place where I had a extremely strong, safe uh, foundation. That was my core. And my parents and family, that's my core. And what did we do to be able to handle the NFL environment? One of the things we did is we prayed together always. Another thing we did is we read the Book of Mormon almost every day. I mean, when at nighttime, that's when we read it when I played, is we'd, we'd read a chapter together every day. That was very helpful because the Book of Mormon is a book of absolute promises. It's a Book of Mormon. It's a book that witnesses to the Savior Jesus Christ, his power, his living power right now. How can we access that today in the NFL? And all the stories were stories, but they all apply to you where you are. And then the Holy Ghost helps you understand what the stories are about and how they apply to you. So praying and reading, that was that was foundational for us. That's what helped me be able to go into an NFL locker room and handle what could be very disturbing things. And there's a lot of language in the NFL. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. And those are those were my brothers and my teammates and the guys that I was going to war with. And I had to find a way to be their brother and teammate and fellow warrior without being a self-righteous punk. If I'm in the locker room acting like, hey, I'm not drinking beer and I'm not swearing you know, I'm so much better than you guys. If that was my thought process, they would see it and feel it. And we wouldn't be able to be teammates. They had to know that that's who I was. I don't swear. I don't drink. But I love you even if you do. And we're still going to get along in this relationship because our goal is to win a Super Bowl championship together. Now, if you're swearing so much that it's just like, I can't be around you, then that's when we need to have a discussion and say, bro, when we're together, do you seriously need to swear that much? <laughs> but like birds of a feather flock together, that's going to happen naturally. And at some point, you're going to have that discussion. 
and and or people are going to say and I noticed you don't really swear that much. Sorry about that. I'll, I'll tone it down. And that's what happened all through my NFL career. People would say that. Hey, I'm trying to clean it up, bro. I'm like, okay. I didn't ask him to. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, you know, what we chose to do, our activities with my teammates. It, they knew I wasn't going to go to a bar, so I never was asked, hey, let's go to a bar and party. <laughs> they wouldn't ask me that. But we're going to go to dinner with our wives, and we're going to have a even better time than anyone does going to the bars. Um, so my family, Michelle, praying, scriptures, all helped me in that situation in the NFL environment of celebrity, fame, everything else that comes with that in, in pro sports. It was challenging. It was never super comfortable. Um, but being in the pros is never super comfortable because you got to prove to yourself and your teammates and your coaches every day that you deserve to be there. So it's not a – who cares if it's comfortable or not? That's just how it was going to be. <coughs> but I would say God really, really helped me and, and really blessed me. And I have a million different experiences where I can say, wow, he blessed me there. He helped me there, and he watched over me here. And sometimes that came by through my wife, my family, friends. I get to the NFL, and who's my head coach at the Philadelphia Eagles? It's Andy Reid. Andy Reid came to BYU not as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but he joined the church. He met a girl, fell in love with Tammy, and Tammy's like, Reid. If you're going to marry me, I'm getting married in the temple. And he's like, what's the temple? She's like, well, you better find out. <laughs> She's a spitfire. She's so great. And so he found out. And when he found out, he said, I'm, I'm jumping in. I believe it. I'm, I'm all in. My bishop in, the, in Philadelphia was Vi Sikahema, who played football at BYU. And in the pros, he played in Philadelphia. That's where he finished his career. So my bishop was also a member of a team in a locker room, both the BYU and the pros. Who better to counsel me and guide me and Michelle than Vi Sikahema and his wife, Keala Sikahema, about how to raise a family in this environment, how to dominate here and dominate here. Vi was like when Elder Bednar revealed that talked a long time ago about tender mercies. And now that word tender mercy just like pops out to all of us. Well, that was one of the greatest tender mercies of my life to move to Philadelphia. And the person who's going to shepherd me had also played at BYU and in the pros who could perfectly teach and mentor Michelle and I how to live and raise our kids. It was one of the greatest blessings of my life. So here, my spiritual leader, and my work leader are guys that are still pillars in my life. Andy Reid, Bicekahema, and I will—I'll be forever, forever grateful for both of those men and their wives for their their kindness to me, everything they they provided for me. Love those, love those people. <clears throat> so then, this is more of a more of a personal question. On that note, obviously, as members of the church, there's playing on Sunday. How, how was that for you? I'm assuming you had to miss sacramenting every once in a while. And then obviously you're playing on the Lord's day. How did you rectify that just spiritually and then going forward? Great question. Maintaining it. Uh, it was never, yeah, never comfortable. NFL players playing on Sunday. I never, it was never totally comfortable to me. You walk into a stadium, you know, you got the smell of smoke and alcohol and, and war because you're going to battle. You physically as hard as you can against Michael Strahan of the New York Giants. And it's going to, you better pack a lunch and a snack because it's going to be really hard. While my wife was going to church and then, then coming down to the game. It was never comfortable. It was never easy. But that was what I did to take care of my family. That's how I was blessed. That was my great opportunity in life. I knew there was a, a beautiful platform. Uh, if I did it the right way, that it could be a source of strength, 
that the Lord could use me in that way, that I could use my talents in that way. Um, I thought of my own dad who delivered babies, and babies choose to come whenever they come. <laughs> and they don't say, uh, it's Sunday, I'm not going to be born today. They are born when they're born, so who goes and delivers them? The doctor. With who? The nurses. My dad often would be called out of sacrament meeting, beep, 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 paging Dr. Lewis, back when they had pagers, and he would run out of the chapel and go to the hospital and deliver a baby. I felt like I was delivering a baby on Sunday by taking care of my family, by using my skills, by doing it in the best way I knew how, I also knew that there was, there, was, there was a sacrifice and a trade-off. I couldn't get back those days that I was missing attending church, singing the songs of the Restoration, focusing on the Savior, because I was playing ball. My bishop, Vaisikahema, also knew that. He made it possible for us to take the sacrament on Tuesday, which was our day off. So we would gather as teammates and take the sacrament on Tuesdays. He wanted me to take the sacrament. He wanted my wife to see me take the sacrament and wanted my kids to see me and be a part of it and take the sacrament together. Sometimes we did it on Sunday morning or Saturday night in the hotel. Um, most of the time we did it on Tuesday in my home, but that was the bishop giving us permission and being fully together with us in that effort. Halfway through my career, I'm playing football, and I'm in Arizona. Michelle's in church, and Elder John Carmack was visiting his daughter in New Jersey, and he was attending church. He was my mission president for one month in Taiwan between mission presidents. My second mission president couldn't come. He was in the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, and there was a one-month gap. And so the member of the area presidency, Elder Carmack, came to our mission and acted as our mission president. It was great. We've been friends ever since. I love him. And he was speaking in sacrament meeting, and he said, Hey, um, I know a lot of you wonder about Chad Lewis. He's not with us today. He's in Arizona playing a football game. And how is that right? that Chad could be in Arizona playing football and we have to be here in church. How does that work? And his response was, well, I know Chad. I know he's, he's in Arizona today because that's what he does for work. And I also know him well enough to know that he's not super happy that he gets to miss church. If he didn't have that job, he'd be here with us. And I, I don't have a problem with Chad doing that, and I, I hope you don't have a problem either. Now, if Chad were thrilled that he was playing football because he didn't have to go to church, I'd say Chad has a problem. And that was his, his way of addressing that. And when I heard that, I was so grateful. I was like, wow, that's a general authority talking about something that I've always wondered about, you know, considered. And now that I'm this age, I don't wonder about it. I I just, if people come to me with that same dilemma, then we'll, we'll talk about it. It's not easy to miss church, but it definitely matters where your heart and mind are and what you're doing um, to not make up for it, but what you're doing. What, what are you doing in your, in your life? Church is a vehicle for us to get closer to to Christ. That's what it's all about. So if I can't be there on Sunday, how can I do everything I can to have Christ in my life? It really seems to depend on where your heart is and what your goals are. Yeah. So like, is your heart that you want to maintain your spirituality and you wish that you could be there? So then you're doing what you can to still have that relationship with Christ, yeah. even though you can't be there. Like and I was working with my bishop. I'm like, hey, I'm, uh, he, was a t he was a team member in our family's efforts to do that. And without him, it would have been very rough. Well, and that's he what was I was going to come back to, too. Even in this situation that was pretty well out of your control, you were once again surrounded by greatness, yeah, allowing you to true. approach it in the best possible way that you could have. And look, so at, look at all of us in COVID when church was shut down. Mm-hmm. 
I thought it was crazy. The world's response to COVID is what I thought was crazy. I thought the church was doing everything they could to protect us, to act responsibly and legally. And here we were outside of church. We were home. And President Nelson made it possible for us to partake of the sacrament in our homes. And what were Michelle and I thinking at that time? We were thinking absolutely, like, we've been here before. <laughs> when we were in New Jersey, our home was, was a sacred chapel for us. And we were taking the sacrament in our home. And what a, what a gift that the prophet made that possible for us to partake of the sacrament and have that time in our homes to still worship God and, and be plugged in. <clears throat> that's a that's good, awesome. that's a living prophet right there. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything? Else um, to I just had like one last question because okay. we've already been going for about an hour. Um, I just wanted to know, was there a time that you failed or either thought you were going to fail and how'd you overcome it? Oh man. That's Failed my last too, question. Too many <laughs> times to count. You needed like an abacus. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's, here's a good time that I failed. I wanted to play on the basketball team at Orem High School as a junior and as a senior. I was the last one cut as a junior and it hurt like crazy. I was physically very immature and I was by age, I was immature. I was young because I was, my mom put me up with my friends when I started kindergarten. So I was always one year behind my peers. I was very young. Plus, I was a late bloomer. So it was a double whammy trying to play sports. I was like, shoot, I'm, I'm one year younger. Plus, I'm a late developer anyway. It was like a, it was a double whammy. And I was a good player, but not a great player. I went my senior year and same thing happened. I got cut trying to make the basketball team. My, my buddies, you know, Brian Rowley, Randy Reese were on the team, Craig Cook. Um, my other friends are on the team. And to drive home and cry in my driveway, realizing I just got cut again. I could dunk the ball really good, but I wasn't a great basketball player. I still, looking back, think I should have made the team. I thought the coach was crazy not to put me on the team, but that was his choice. That failure was an absolute key ingredient to the fire that I used to be a better missionary, to come home and to make the football team is a walk-on like that. That was such a challenging experience for me. It was, it was so painful that I just used that as fuel for the rest of my life. Now, it wasn't intended to be that for my coach who cut me. He was just trying to put the best team together, and he felt like I wasn't it. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, whew, it hurt. And I had to I had to use it like either for good or bad. And I used it for fire, to work harder, to be better. And I, I think that's an important part of life. Like take whatever you can and put it in your fire. Any any challenges, obstacles, disappointments, griefs, like use it all for your good. Use it in a way that's gonna propel you forward. And that was a failure that hurt at the time. But there were also miracles that happened. I ended up starting to, on the track team in high school as, as a high jumper. Well, it was when I came home from a mission, I first walked onto the track team at BYU as a high jumper because of that experience I had in high school. The reason I failed opened another door, which opened a door. And then as a, as a track athlete, it was easier for me a lot of different reasons. One was uh, my mission companion, Larry Harmer, and my brother, Mike. But I was able to get the courage to walk onto the football team. But that was kind of because track. On track was because the other failure of getting cut from the team. So it was – I could go into a lot of different failures in my life. Some of them I want to just leave forever. Yeah. And that's why it's so grateful to – we can give a failure to Christ – 
he paid for our sins and mistakes and iniquities, and he's he went through the atonement, and some of those we don't ever have to address again. Once he took them, it's like, thank you so much. That's why, you know, when you read the Book of Mormon, you come closer to Christ, and you feel like he really is taking our load from us, then you start having this love for him, like, I appreciate you so much. I love you. I want to go forward. And that's the gift of Christ, his atonement. It's amazing. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Um, I have just one final question as well, and, and that's for those of us who are trying to build some sort of success in our life and are trying to surround ourselves with greatness. What is one last parting piece of advice you could give us? Oh, great question. Go for it. Like, Figure out what you want to do, set a path, and go for it. Um, don't wait for someone to explain it all and show you the roadmap. Find people that can help you, and don't don't ever stop finding people that can be, you know, helpers and helping you build your your pathway. And what I tell my missionary son all the time, he's in the Philippines. Jeff is work hard and be obedient. If those are your two foundational bricks, you can build a pretty sweet house with that. Like. Work hard, be obedient. And then how does that apply to you? you? Stuff like that is so foundational that you'll figure it out. It's like, I mean, that, that's just like principle-based sound wisdom. It's like saying, be honest or obey the commandments. Work hard, be obedient. You put those two things together, you got, you got fire. You can make it happen. I wish I had more than that, but that's what I got. No, that's that's perfect. <laughs> we appreciate your time today and coming on and just having a good conversation with us. I feel like we've both learned a lot, and hopefully the people who listen will as well. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys. Keep going.